Hangouts is a podcast that brings together the voices of those who resist at the margins of academia. Inspired by Maria Lugones' definition of hangout as a space which shatters the division between the public and private spheres, Liminal Hangouts is imagined as a space of resistant intimacy, anchored by a politics and friendship rather than a geographical location. In these conversations, we reflect on social justice decolonizing the self, practices of unlearning, what it means to get creative with our differences, how to build coalition across difference, what everyday practices are needed for collective liberation, and the ways in which we can honor the relations that hold us accountable. This episode is brought to you by the Civic Innovation Research Initiative a group of scholar activists committed to social justice based at the International Institute of Social Studies in The Hague, Netherlands. Music for the podcast is produced and performed by Ntombi Elanga, whose work is aimed at the preservation, promotion and creation of indigenous instruments and music in South Africa. Her current project, Songs of Our Ancestors, explores how ancient sounds, Ngoma, is a language, a memory, and a dream we bring to life through intergenerational connections and sound dialogue, where the body is seen as a living archive of these sounds. In this episode, we speak with social artist Anima Jugru Roysen, who uses dance and henna art to challenge the exclusion of women of color in dominant narratives within academic and performance spaces. Through her experience of being of Indo-Caribbean and Dutch descent, Anima's art encourages us to think, feel, and live in between and beyond dominant narratives. The chum-chum of her gungurus teaching us that we can communicate with more than just words. Anima, so happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Zaraika. And I think just starting off, um, I want to talk a bit about artivism and you know bringing together art and activism and what possibilities um, this opens up for us. Yes, uh, well thank you for having me and, and uh, for this beautiful question because um, first of all I, um, I was thinking about what role uh, or position does art have in the Netherlands? Because um, when I look at it and when I see it, especially in dance, for instance, or, or in modern art, um, it is quite uh, a distant phenomena, actually. And I compared it to how I actually used art or, or um, well, using uh, is a little bit like very functional, but how are what place art took in my life? 
and it was always a place of expression and a place of imaginary uh, imagine new things or a place of healing and, and, and dealing with things and um, that was not how art in the Netherlands uh, in a more yeah dominant space uh, was practiced because it was yeah what, what how can you say it more art for the arts and um, so at, at the same time I was also feeling very discontent about what was happening in my uh, environment, especially also uh, to uh, uh, how uh, women of color were treated and uh, looked upon. And I also discovered that in my art practice that happened as well. So um, for me to get before, uh, for instance, a Bollywood performance, I had to, well, sell myself as this exotic dancer, which I knew somewhere wasn't very good. Uh, it was very strange to do it like that. But and at the same time, I could perform my art um, and I could make money. So I started to reflect and think on this, like, okay, but even in my art practice, these things are happening now. And well, maybe, art isn't practiced this way i feel it should be practiced in the netherlands but for me it was quite evident from my experience to combine this art and activism and what i noticed is that when i practice it like this for instance i have a, a experimental performance where i was recording it so the performance was uh, in progress it was not really performed in front of an audience but just in front of a few people involved with the recording and um, I was wearing a business suit and I was wearing the hungaroos and then one of the ladies came to me and she said I discovered something and I don't know I don't think it's very nice actually I'm ashamed of it and what she did discover was that when she looked at me and I was performing in my business suit and gungrus, I was dancing, she was interested. But the moment she was uh, seeing me in different clothes, so in Indian clothes, then she got disconnected from the performance. And she was thinking like, oh my God, but that's, that's so horrific. It's so horrific of me to even think that, but that's so internalized in me. And those are the moments when I'm not even performing, but involving people in the creation process of my art, that those changes can happen. That is so meaningful. Yeah, I think the beauty of what you're saying is that both are changed through the experience of the dance, that you as the performer entering into this space of healing into the imaginary um, in doing so you open up the space for the self-reflection necessary for healing to happen within the observer so in that sense both the observer and the performer are changed but given that we are in europe and in the netherlands um, you know it makes me wonder about this gaze and in particular, the white gaze, the gaze that consumes our practice. Um, I'm just wondering how do you deal with that tension? I dealt with it with, by 
um, turning turning it into an advantage. So either okay, you want Indian dance, here's your Indian dance, and I just get my money and pay my bills. <laughs> that is one way. <laughs> but another way is yeah, I'm also an artist, so I just don't want to do it only for making the money, but I actually want to either artistic develop uh, my practice by experimenting more and, and you know um, for instance uh, yeah how do you say uh, look or perform my art in a, in a, a different way because I'm in that sense a hybrid I'm Indo-Caribbean and I'm of Dutch descent so both are uh, literally within me but um, what else can I create and tell through these through this uh, hybrid position? And uh, well, it led to one performance uh, in India Dance Festival where I did um, take it to you know the Indian dance as my advantage, like I just uh, said before. Like okay, I'll just do something from their perspective. But um, at the same time, I was also addressing um, the aesthetics of my performance and trying to change it because in that sense, there is this expectation, um, not only from the Netherlands, but also uh, from India, how uh, certain dances should look like. But then you think about it and then you Think about this modern aesthetics and then you also see that also in India the uh, performances uh, and, and arts go either to super classical or and, and that's the pure form of dance or they go and then they're non-classical or whatever and they're called experimental but still they're very much modern aesthetics uh, white aesthetics in white and um, I forgot the question, how to deal with it. So within dance, it's a very complex field of how to deal with that kind of um, colonialism and post-colonialism within the dance. And I just feel that I'm constantly in this space yeah negotiating between all these forms and on the one hand i can turn it into my advantage it led me to some income but it also led me to a performance in the indian dance festival which is perceived as quite a big platform in the netherlands and i was presented as the dance talent from uh, the hague <laughs> well okay <laughs> um but it also pushed me, you know, uh, into a direction which I didn't want to go actually, you know, because it said, well, if you want to go further into your dance, then you should um, dance more with modern dance elements and more with uh, the modern aesthetics in your dance. And that just didn't feel right. And then you get the other side of me, which is totally in opposition It's like, okay, no. You know, um, I don't know if I can swear in your podcast, but that is just like, F you, <laughs> I'm not going to do that either, you know? So I was totally fed up with that system of pushing me and molding myself in something so I can perform. 
and uh, that led to uh, more my uh, activistic uh, dance spaces which I'm exploring now and uh, in which I'm now developing my performance control alt uh, identity in which I show how I deal with exactly this uh, dynamic. Yeah, it's super interesting because it's it's sort of pointing to the ways in which we constantly get pigeonholed into things. So, I mean, you call it a hybrid um, identity and I guess I, I would also call it that, but it's, it's having different identities that intersect within one body or one being and how one always has to, to dominate and always at the expense of the other. So in a way that it feels like you're not allowed to be um, yourself with all of these multiple identities at the same time, that you have to either present yourself as an Indian dancer or, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it's not even, you know, uh, uh, the kind of uh, racial identity, like your Indian self or your Dutch uh, self. And of course, you know, I'm perceived as a woman of color. So my white side is not even visible and people do not even, even recognize that part. And since I got married, you know, uh, Jagru is actually my maiden's name, according to people, but no, it's Ruysen. <laughs> So it's so much in, in that system, but it's also about your uh, other kinds of identity. It's like I I've always been a teacher, for instance, you know, and, and a researcher. But no, you either had to be this artist uh, and not even henna artist and dancer. No, only you have to be a dancer or a henna artist or you have to be the teacher or the researcher only. You, you could not be... Uh, you cannot be multiple being uh, identities at the same time from different levels while well, yeah. you yeah you know it's very hard to survive as an artist only even though i made that choice now again but um i did it before but uh, yeah i couldn't so again i went into research in academia but um yeah the system is really pushing you in being just this one thing and go and be that the rest of your life. Yeah, and you know, when I think, cause you, you know, you mentioned going back into research and academia and, you know, bringing it to the reason why I'm doing this podcast, you know, to, to look for ways that we can do research that's life affirming rather than, you know, extractive or um, centering these damage centered narratives of, our communities as lacking or that, you know, that there is no joy and there is no, um, that we just suffer and we suffer and we suffer, you know, or we struggle and we struggle and we struggle, but yeah. that within that resistance, there's joy and there's a celebration of life and there's um, our beautiful knowledges that, that are still there. Yeah, when, when I think about connecting research to what you're just saying about artivism, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but I think where I was trying to get with that is, you know, in these life-affirming ways, uh, relationality is really important. Yeah. And so with artivism, like, 
how does that encourage relational ways of, of being? But also, no, I think where I was going with this is also when you say that, you know, you have identities that are not evident just by looking at you and, and not just ethnicity, but, but being a teacher or being a poet or being different things all at the same time. And how research doesn't really accommodate for that that there's only this one way to know and there's only this one way to present that knowledge and in a way the kinds of knowledges that we're trying to put forward can't be purely expressed in academic terms sure the imaginary the imaginary that you mention right yeah and 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 what we sense through uh through art may it be a poem but also may it be uh, from our bodies you know the way we dance and that is why i'm more and more interested in doing artistic research because it searches for different kinds of knowledges as well and it uh, acknowledges <laughs> different kinds of knowledges just heard the wonderful sounds and rhythm of the gungurus as you danced and perhaps you could uh, tell us a little bit more about the significance of the gungurus in your dance practice and perhaps um, you know what this means for your artistic expression in dance what i've learned from my uh, kata training is that rhythm is very connected to the dance, you can actually not separate it from each other. So even if you're learning uh, Katak, the first thing you're actually learning is rhythm. And then, you know, how to emphasize those rhythms through your body. And um, Gungurus are uh, a great 
uh, help in that uh, when you're uh, dancing Kathak. So um, when I was practicing Kathak in the Netherlands and I was rapping the gungurus, which are uh, little bells on a rope, weaved in a rope and then uh, wrapped around your ankle. So when I was wrapping them around my ankle and I start practicing, um, because Kathak has certain techniques which you have to make your own and actually your body needs to be formed to those techniques. So you're practicing it a lot for hours and hours. I was dancing rhythms with the gurus, and that was very healing to me because I was connected to, to rhythm and, and, and the sounds of, uh, of the gurus. And now I was thinking, okay, just leave Katak as it is, but what do these gungrus mean to me? And um, what I realized is that, yes, they're helping me uh, to get into a place of healing, to have uh, the connection with rhythms of the universe. Um, one of the most beautiful things I think is that um, we have our heart and it beats and it beats a rhythm. And we're not consciously giving the assignment, yo heart, give me a rhythm. No, <laughs> it's there, it's within us. And that's what is connecting us to other vibrations in this world. And I started to think like that with the gungurus as well. We can also hear the gungurus. And I am this woman in this, body uh, and and dancing it in a Dutch context. So I made it very physical and uh, I was looking, okay, but um, what are the spaces I'm dancing in? Um, where is my body moving? And, and how can I make sure that I'm seen and that I'm heard and that I'm not just this exotic dancer? So those are the questions that I'm also dealing with now in, in control alt identity. And I'm uh, taking the gunguru with me in this journey because um, it makes sounds. And that for me emphasizes the voice of the women of color. And it's made in a different country, in a different land, but it's brought here. No, and, and it's here in the Netherlands making the sounds resonating in each uh, space. So also, you know, it connects to my body in that sense because, um, because it's a, a body of a woman uh, of color. And that is how I identify because that is what society drove me to think about myself. And um, so using this uh, gunguru, um, also triggers different kinds of imaginaries. So there's this little bell, uh, a little ball in, in the bell itself, and that is called uh, a chara. And I'm now making these little movies about uh, the gunguru moving, and then the chara escapes, and it runs away from the gunguru. <laughs> 
and that is just so uh, it's so imaginary to how you actually want to escape sometimes your environment and just go but it also means that if the chara is not in the gunguru there's no sound coming from the gunguru anymore <laughs> but you know i i think that's the benefit of artistic research is that it's already orientated towards the body and the senses right and then being uh well in development studies that i'm in but i would say also broadly across the social sciences it's not so accepted but the thing is a lot of these knowledges that we hold that they're enfleshed and they're within our bodies and within our beings and quantifying it is just not the path <laughs> it's a very um yeah it's even so uh i'm just seeing a number in front of me now <laughs> but also quantifying it for what purpose yeah exactly um, is it is it because then it only becomes about speaking back to coloniality or or the the dominant way of knowledge uh in quotation marks production because then i have to it's it's a proving to you that our narratives are justified or or proving to you or showing you proof that colonialism did all of this damage but if i'm speaking to you anima or to women of color or i'm speaking to others that are at the margins of these dominant narratives we already know this we don't have to prove it to each other we know so yeah i don't think there was really a question in there but it's just like why are we doing what we're doing or yeah. questioning ourselves why we're doing what we're doing mhm 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 and um what i think is you know in that sense we're um maybe blessed and cursed at the same time of of uh, asking uh, this uh, this question mm. because um it makes us more um confident and reflective of our position and by that i think um also uh stronger in 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 how we want to approach things uh, and at the same time um it makes us vulnerable because of the system rhetorics that exist because then you're also becoming for instance the black angry woman you know if you're um but when when it comes down to for instance yeah this dominant knowledge uh, and 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 reproduction of numbers and numbers and numbers um yeah i was just thinking about okay then what about reclaiming uh numbers because zero isn't a, a colonial or a western invention uh and the beautiful shape of zero is circular <laughs> so um but then i'm also thinking okay but if we're going so how where does zero come from not in terms of country but in terms of thought and um what kind of how did numbers coexist with different kinds of knowledges in pre-colonial times that question just comes to mind then <laughs>